Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Psychic Psychic Josh is resplendent in his Soho style office in a what I've described as an olive jacket. I think that's a fair description of what I'm wearing, an olive jacket. And unusually, we are recording on a Sunday evening. I'm I'm wondering if we've ever done this, Boyd. Um, I think we have. Once or twice. Once or twice, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's such a precedent. But yeah, we have once or twice. And we're joined by returning regular... Adam Bernstein, Unai Emery fan, um, avid tweeter of uh, baldest jokes, mainly about Pep Guardiola's lack of hair, and all-round um, entertaining man, Adam. Welcome. Thanks, Boyd. Since you've last had me on, I've tried to rein in the Pep Guardiola. <laughs> you haven't, I got, I got worried that you'd ask me about it again. <laughs> you did one about a couple of weeks ago, so, I mean, you know, you haven't reined in that. I don't mind. You can call him baldest. Bald, that's fine. We, we should oh. ask... Adam, are you feeling vindicated by how well Unai Emery is doing in the Champions League this season? Are you pleased yeah. to see him having some success? Uh, I'm not. But but I'll, I'll say this, Josh. You've been knocked out in previous seasons by very poor teams as well, um, or mm. very average teams as well. And, I mean, let's see if he can do a job on the second leg against Bayern. Um, mm. But, nonetheless, it is disappointing to see him doing even moderately well. You must be slightly worried that if they go on to win the Champions League, it will be a uh, it will be an absolute revelation of Unai Emery's genius. Yeah, but I think cup football that you can't judge managers on that. Like Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League as well with Chelsea. <laughs> okay, um, good point. Good point. I think it's fair to say he's much better with teams of his first language. I mean, I think that's that's one thing I would point out. That, the big problem for for him as an Arsenal manager, I think, was his unbelievably bad communication skills in English. Um, anyway, we're not we, we don't want to rake over old ground yet. I mean, we could do because it'd probably be less depressing than talking about current ground. Um, so, recording this the day after the calamitous game against Brighton, I guess my first question is, uh, Adam, a few months ago, I would say when the January transfer window closed. A lot of us thought, well, we really missed an opportunity there to strengthen the squad because we're clearly very, very thin squad. A lot of us said if you have one or two injuries to keep players, it would be very difficult for us to to do well in that situation. And that our massively inexperienced manager who's learning on the job still has moments where he doesn't seem to be able to learn from his mistakes and makes calamitous errors, as he did, I believe, yesterday in his team selection, particularly putting Xhaka left back, which he's done before and it never didn't work, particularly when parties injured and we needed Granite Xhaka in midfield. So what I'm saying is in brief that even though I don't, even though I was a bit of an Arteta out man a few months ago and I've since become slightly embarrassed at expressing that thought, now I feel slightly vindicated, although I, I don't want him to go or anything because that would be insane after two bad defeats. But I feel slightly more vindicated in my expression of dubiousness about Arsenal and him. Yeah, I mean... 
So I was I was looking um, this morning at our results since the turn of the year, and we've won one game by more than one goal. And basically, if you play a match and you're only one goal up, you sort of leave all your best players on, make sure you can defend properly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think the implication of that has been that even though we've got a very thin squad, a lot of these guys haven't really played at all for ages. But we didn't see the conga um, in the Premier League game for months. Kind of similarly, the same thing with Tavares. And and then kind of thrown in cold. So it's kind of a combination of, yes, we sort of lack depth in terms of who can actually come in, but also the guys who can come in, I feel like they're sort of thrown a very difficult task in that they're like, you know, I'm sure they've been training well, but we've got no idea. We haven't seen them on a pitch and suddenly they're asked to start. They're asked to fulfill like a very difficult role in their first season in a new country. Um, so I think it's a combination of the thin squad, but also the guys who are coming in don't really have any match practice. Mm. Josh, a lot. I've seen, I saw a lot of people on Twitter talk about how we're paying the price for a lack of rotation and kind of saying that Arteta should have rotated the squad more. But all I would say to that is, and I'm not, I'm kind of, I would defend him a little bit on this that particular point. I think, imagine if he'd suddenly thrown in the Conga when Party and Xhaka were doing brilliantly in midfield in our great streak that we had until the international break fucked everything up for us. Do you know what I mean? I think there would have been an outcry if he had to have, have not stuck with the winning team essentially and rotated more. I think you, you can't, it's a difficult one, isn't it? To, to balance. And also we're not, it's not like we're playing any more than once a week. So, you know, everyone's going, well, without European football, we can play, you know, we don't have to rest players so much. We don't have to rotate. And now everyone's saying, I think slightly wisely after the event, oh, we should have rotated more. I think Adam does make a great point about coming in cold and Lukonga. I think that was only his sort of second start, really. In that, and it literally three, three, four months. He played the the Burnley game at home when we drew nil nil in what was one of the most disappointing results of of that whole period, where where otherwise we would do really well. Um, and unfortunately, we are we are paying the price for what you said in, in January, leaving the squad really bare. And the drop in quality, sadly, between Tierney, um, well, I want to come on to Savares, you know, Tomiyasu to Cedric, you know, Xhaka or Partey down to Lukonga um, is too big. It's too big to get away with it. And we didn't get away with it. And we'll probably end up paying the price with failing to qualify for the Champions League from it. Um, I just, I mean, look, two things you can say. You can say with Tavares, it was an incredible lack of faith, yeah. you know, him play, him not playing. Because if you don't play him on Saturday, I don't quite know when you do turn to him. Mm. But you, you, you've hooked him at halftime against Palace. You've then in the press conference, of course, been asked the awkward question about how much he's got to take this opportunity now Tierney's out. You've answered the question about him having to sort of take the minutes that he's given them. There are less minutes this season because we've had less games. And then you mess up the the centre of the pitch by taking Granite Jacker out of there on a day where you already don't have Thomas Partey to almost go with it feels players you trust to get ahead of ahead of him. Um I honestly don't know if Tavares does not come in next weekend. I, I don't know what future he, he can possibly have because he's almost killed him. But equally, you could go, what a show of faith in Lukonga. Because you could go, hang on, he must think, really think highly of Lukonga to go, well, actually, he can cope in there. You know, I don't have to worry. Granite Xhaka, I can worry about a left back. And yet, you know, as Adam Sitter, we saw loads of Lukonga, surprisingly, at the start of the season because of a situation that we were in. I remember listening to... I think, you know, a Belgian football expert on one of the other central BBC, I think, football podcasts over the summer and talking about how Lukonga will be expected to get, you know, a few minutes here and there during the season, might appear in cup competitions. He's probably still ahead of schedule and we probably have to be a bit fairer on how we sort of analyse his contribution because he's he's incredibly young. Yes, I think he's been given, a, is it a couple of Belgian caps um, that he's had so far? I think possibly just one. But... You know, I don't but, think he was expected to start in the Arsenal midfield this season, really. But the unbelievable thing about about that is that of, you, you, he'd not. Any, I mean, he, kind of, he had to pick him because we have no other options. In, well, you know, I guess he could have picked, you know, one or two. Could have picked. Well, hang on. What about Moel Nenny? What about El Nenny? Could have picked El Nenny do to sure. not get picked 
No, like I, I think right. that if you're going with but, players you feel you could trust, and they'll need yes. a bit more dependable. Yes. yes, but what I'm saying is, if you are going to pick Lukonga, who I think is next in line, if you like, in the pecking order, because he did play so much early in the season, then you don't not put, you don't surround him with creative players who cannot get foot in in midfield, as he did. You pick, you have to play him with Xhaka. It would have been a different situation if you played him with Xhaka. That's the problem. Like, not I don't think picking Lokonga was the problem. It's picking Lokonga and letting him on his own handle the defensive duties of. But the... also, you know what it meant for Odegaard in the game on, on Saturday, oh, yeah. and, and Odegaard being a little bit deeper. The whole thing didn't quite. We tried that before. Make sense. We've had a period, haven't we, where the team has basically picked itself. Yes. Right. There's been very little, very little debate one way or another, and suddenly Saturday came, and there was loads of debate. And for the first time in it feels like months, people are very critical of Arteta, and I feel he. He almost spoke about admitting he might have got it wrong in the press conference. Didn't quite go there. He just sort of spoke about it easier to be sort of wiser after the game yeah, and after have, the event. But I have. think perhaps if there was, you know, a little bit of blame he could have accepted on his on his shoulders because, yeah. you know, it, it didn't work and Brighton deservedly won. What did you make, Adam, of of the of of, of him picking Jacko at left back? I mean. I- I can see the case for it. I don't really like. I've watched Tavares, and to me, sort of, he reminds me of a gambler. He plays to me like a winger in the sense that he, yeah. he'll dive in and he'll and he'll win some tackles and he'll win some duels, but he's also going to lose some. And that was exactly what happened against Palace. And that's fine if you're a winger. If you give the ball away, if Martinelli gives the ball away, you're like, well, they're fine. That's what he's trying to trying to get us a chance. He gives the ball away at left back. They're in, you know, decent chance they're going to score a goal. Um, so I mean, I you know, in kind of comparing. The Conger and Tavares. Josh is probably right that the Conger's ahead of schedule, but I think there's a player in there who's got like a high ceiling. Whereas Tavares today, at least at left back, I've not really seen it. Like he's he's like quite fun to watch, but you know he's the sort of person who you might be happy to have on your team at Power League more than you like necessarily want to be playing in the Arsenal first team, um, chasing fourth place. So I can kind of see why he played Jacker there. Um, to me, the issue was that. You know, I don't even know how much it was on the Congo. Like, if you watch the first 20 minutes of that game, it really reminded me of the first three months of the season, which is played very slowly, side to side. Like, Brighton are a well-drilled, you know, they're not a great team, you know, well-drilled Premier League side. And if you pass that slowly and don't really do anything incisive, like, we can talk about the Congo, but there were, you know, there were 10 others of them out there. And I just didn't really think there was any sort of impetus to go out there. And, you know, Arteta said he wanted a response post Palace. And I was just stood there the first 20 minutes, like, so forgettable. Um, you know, you you know, if you hadn't, if you'd missed all of it, you wouldn't really have missed anything. But my, I, I, I agree with that. You're right. It absolutely did. Rem- it did completely um, remind us of of the bad times in that first third of the season. You're completely. But I think that all comes. I think that when you when you make a mistake from, and I think it, I, 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 sorry, I'm going to bang on it. But when you when you when you don't trust in your player who played perfectly well, I know he's had two bad halves of football, right, um, uh, and. But then he's played at left back when Tierney was injured, and he did perfectly well for a very you know for, for for quite a few weeks. It's almost like everyone's forgetting that he did an okay job. And I know he does seem more of a winger, you're right, but he still managed to deal with defensive duties to some extent. You know, at least the team with in which he played did, and it wasn't a complete disaster. But then then he has one. He had a terrible first half in that game against Crystal Palace, and I think for Arteta to, to 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 not just show any faith in him sends a terrible message not just to him. To the rest of the team, like they, and I think it immediately instills fear. He's like, "Oh fuck, we've got a real problem at left back. We can't trust our backup left back, our official backup left back. We can't trust him." And I think that's what, for me, it's almost like more psychological than it is. Yeah, all right, he's not the best in the world. He's got defensive issues, but, but and also you're removing, you're making too many changes into into a team that thrives on basically having the same formation, the same as, as few changes week in, week out. And to leave Congo again on his own in midfield without Xhaka was criminal. Josh. Don't forget, Kalazinac was at the club at the beginning of the season. I, I, it's, it's interesting to remember that, isn't it? I mean, obviously with the disastrous first three games, but he obviously had enough faith in Tavares as going, right, we don't need our Kalazinac, who has been at the yeah. club for yeah. you know a, a long time and playing over a hundred games for Arsenal, so he's obviously had enough faith. I, I think with with Tavares, I, I'm looking at he had eight minutes of football um, coming into that Crystal Palace game since the defeat at Everton in December, and that is coming in from the cold. I've got to say it again, yeah. and, 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 and I made it. that is not give him 15, 20 minutes there when we're. 
um, you, you know, when when we're able to, to see out games, and I think there's also the opportunity to bring them on a little bit higher up the pitch. Um, so suddenly to be to be thrown in, and of course it's incredibly unexpected in the way that Tierney uh, is now out. Um, it's just an, an amazing sort of turnaround from a moment where I, I think it was, wasn't it? It was yeah, the period where he was playing was was a, that Watford. Um, we, we won away at Leicester. We beat we beat Villa at home, and then we had that dodgy sort of defeat at Old Trafford, and a, and sort of um, he he then came off the bench away at Goodison Park when we when we lost in the last minute. But there were a couple of games there, obviously, he was keeping Kieran Tierney out of the team. Yeah. So it, it seems a, I, I can't think of a bigger sort of turnaround in terms of uh, attitude to a player or, or possibly in the reverse, Martinelli, who couldn't really get game time earlier on and, and, and now has. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I, think, I think he has to start him on Saturday at yeah. Southampton and... And we see where we go from there. And maybe Pepe starts. Maybe we'll come on to what you do with Lacazette. There's, there's actually now some some decisions he's he's got to make. Yeah. But I must say, I um, if you if you want to understand how limited our options are, I looked at Br- at Brighton's bench on Saturday. I looked at our bench. I'd say I hadn't heard of, or not hadn't heard. I've heard of, but I wouldn't have recognised three of the players on our bench. And I'm not ashamed to to say that. And I think I only wouldn't have recognised two of the players on their bench. And and that is kind of where we are. That is the situation the club took a view, took a punt, and right now it's it's going against us. But um, it's it's you know it's in our hands, right? It's still in our hands. And if you want to look at a positive, you'd have gone. Is it? If it's is still it? in our hands, of course it's in our hands. We've got to play Tottenham. They've got about 15 goals ahead now in, in um, goal difference. Yeah, they've also played a game more and we've still got to play them, Boyd. I promise you, mathematically. Sorry, you're right. Our game in hands against Chelsea away. But yeah, OK. Uh, and don't worry, we're going there to win 8-0 away right. over the Adam, differences anyway. So don't worry about Adam, it. Yeah, uh, you were going to say something a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and uh, Josh. I, I mean, I think what I was going to say to Josh was that sort of my view on Tavares is that to me, he sort of reminds me of what happens now in Premier League football, which is that you can bring in a new player and they can get they can often get away with it for a few weeks and then the opposition do their like scouting and analysis and we've told the winger that keep on going at him, they've probably found out exactly where his weak spots are defensively. And that's why, yeah, it's true that he did have a few, you know, okay games earlier in the season. But I'd be like very, very worried now seeing him come back in that He's just sort of, you know, liability. People know that his confidence is also shot. Like I agree, part of it is, as Boyd says, the mental stuff that you know it, people are going to, you know, it's going to have got to him that he's been taken off now twice, twice in a row. I think at half time, but you know, something has to give here. And to me, I, I mean, I, I'm unconvinced by Shaka at left back. I can see the issues there, but I can, you know, I'm slightly struggling with what the, what what the alternatives are for the rest of the season. Well, I, I thought it wasn't impossible that we might see Cedric even possibly switch around to play at left back. And, you know, Ben White played a little bit for England at right back. And we've got Rob Holding, who, you know, seemed like an option. There, there are options and, and variants. And, and maybe Arteta still leaves Tavares out and, and does something like that by moving the defensive players around. I just couldn't get my head around playing Granit Xhaka there when you've already lost part of midfield and uh, look we can all we can all be wise after the event do you know what else is strange do you know the last I, time we, Pepe we, just to say we were wise before the event I mean I had a, I had a, yeah I had a you're right whatsapp chat with in our group when the when the team was announced and Dan Baldwin quite rightly was incredulous that at the, at the selection yeah. was like where the fuck is Xhaka playing and we were like he's playing in le- a left back and it is going to mad and we were all like it is mad and then we were proven right it's like it, it was it, honestly. I, I don't want to. I'm trying not to bang on about it, but I feel but that, what deci- I mean, that decision for me is is season potentially season ending. That's how important and stupid it was. What I mean by wise after the event, yeah, is to go. When I saw the team sheet, I didn't think, oh, and we're going to lose today. I thought I wouldn't have done that, but I didn't oh, then think. Well, Brighton, the most out of form team in the entire <laughs> yeah. Premier League. Coming sure. to the Emirates, who are about sure. to come and come and win today, sure. and winning the manner they did wasn't a smash and grab. No, at all. What? You're right. Um, it seems an opportune moment to thank you, boys, for donating your seat to me um, for the game because you're obviously flying off to America mm. tomorrow, and you mm. decided you didn't want to risk the COVID party that is the first row of club level. Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you got my ticket though. So you sat with Dermot. Uh, sat with Dermot and my, my friend Josh, uh, Australian friend who who was over. So was delighted. Double to, uh, Josh Joy. 
to get the up upgrade. Where you sit, boy, I didn't realise because you've moved in club level. You are yeah. you are right above where I am in the back row oh, of a wow. lower tier. So it's just wow. just about five meters up, but a very similar angle. So when we bang the um, the metal thing, yeah, you know, yeah we did a bit that. of that. We're no yeah. gods. Got, got to bang that. Yeah, you've yeah. got to bang that. Well, I feel really sorry for. I mean, well, I'm going to temp. I'm glad you got my seat. I'm glad you experienced the joy of uh, of non elitist club level. Um, good atmosphere. Yeah. Good atmosphere. I mean, you know, um, it can be un- considering we were shit from the first minute till the 80s. That's, it wasn't the best atmosphere, and, and um, the atmosphere has been pretty good this season, certainly yeah. compared to, to many recent seasons. No, I didn't feel it was the best atmosphere. Um, you know, enjoyed the free program. Sure, had a coffee <laughs> at half time. Lived other it up. than that, and the ticket worked, which was Good. a huge. Success. Oh, that's a mir- so that's a mir- very apprehensive about that. But that you was... didn't even have a Camden Hill as a half time. We just had coffee. no. We went and got coffees. Oh, okay, went and got right. coffees. Yeah, Fine. let Fine. let Dermot lead uh, lead that particular coffee charge. Yeah, how was it in your area, Adam? How in your uh, the atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, I th- I thought it was very flat. I agree with Josh, but. I mean, to, to me, boy, it, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. That the first twenty minutes, there was, you know, there's nothing yeah. to cheer. There was a point where um, uh, the Brighton left back really chopped Saka. I almost thought it was like quite a stupid thing to do in the sense that it was really going to get the crowd going as well. And the crowd had been completely flat to that point. And then there was a bit of noise for a few minutes and sort of anger at um, what the Brighton player had done to our, you know, our, our great young talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of very, very flat all the way through because we just played very passively, didn't create anything. You know, the crowd gets going when we attack yeah. and, yeah. you know, yeah. we play with some emphasis. It's, and it really the Brighton, yeah, go on, sorry. So I was just saying, the Brighton players, you know, they flew into a lot of tackles and there was so much, pretty, I was quite surprised the ref let some of them go. Mm. You know, that's the sort of thing which gets fans going. You know, we didn't even yeah. give any of that. There was just a bit of sort of, you know, Arteta said he wants a response. I didn't really see that there was, you know, much of a response from that. It's incredible. It did show you just how much the atmosphere is based on what the players are doing. And it's certainly an obvious point to make, but particularly with us, I think. And it shows you also how up until this, this these last two games, we've started games really, really well. Even the defeats, even like the Liverpool defeat, you know, where we play really well generally. But we start games really, really well. We have done, I think, all this calendar year pretty much, you know, no matter what the end result, but we've started so badly in that in that Palace game, and even worse in the Brighton game. It's in, it's insane how how the the difference between two two um, injuries and just the whole the whole confidence collapse has collapsed. It feels like to me. It's it's quite a remarkable transformation. I was watching the the Liverpool City game today, Man City game today, and um, Michael Richards made the point. You know, two weeks ago, everyone was like. Arsenal, sir, top four. We, we, you know, we had we had Alan Algren, the podcast talking about the betting it was like completely. It was like it was over, and I, I and almost I found myself almost being lulled into a full sense of security myself, even though I actually am generally incredibly pessimistic and always thought that Spurs might creep up behind us. But in two games, Spurs have gone thousands of goals ahead of us and played extraordinarily, and we are absolute dog shit, Josh. <laughs> Well, it's not just two games. It's the, it's what two games they were. And because yeah. there were two games where you probably have yeah. gone min- minimum or expected four points, you know, maybe a point away at Palace, but even so, like, you know, uh, Palace, what what have they, how many Premier League games have they actually won this season? Is it eight? Well, something his, like his, that. Palace had not won at home this year. Yeah. Brian and they had not won, had, had won none of their last seven games and they'd lost six of them. Carry on. Well, what, what, I mean, the point is here, even now, having both of those teams beaten us, combined they have 16 wins this season and we have 17. So I think it's the the fact that it was two games where we have we have lost, we have taken no points, the goal difference has obviously gone minus four in the wrong direction. That is why the odds have swung so heavily where, you know, Arsenal, I'm looking at it now, we are, we are two to one and Tottenham are, you know, best price or four to 11 kind of territory. And I think, you know, it, it's form... Um, and it's the fact just how many goals are you know Tottenham are scoring, and we have to address it. The lack of goals Arsenal are scoring. We are at forty-five goals from thirty games. Oh, for the days of Wenger when uh, we would end seasons with an average closer to two a game rather than one and a half, and uh, it's it's going to make a huge difference. But um, I don't know if you want to save Lacazette's conversation for after the break, boy. Yes, let's do that after. Let's take a quick break while we try to uh, recover from talking about Arsenal. 
and the inherent misery that induces right now. And we'll be back after this. And we're back from the break. Um, yes, Lacazette. I mean, I think the problem for me, the thing about Lacazette is, I, I mean, I love him generally as, as a person and for what he's given to us, et cetera, et cetera. But he is a player for me that thrives, particularly when everyone, everyone around him, particularly in the attacking part of the team, is playing really well. And there's a kind of, and he just fits in, doesn't he? Like he fit in people again, people's memories are incredibly short. So everyone's, everyone's slagging him off and I'm not defend his, his last two performances have been terrible as, but the whole team has been terrible pretty much. But before that he was, he absolutely played a role in our really good run. He didn't score. He hasn't scored. Adam's kind of, you know, looking slightly dubious. Well, I'll ask you in a minute what you think, but, He'd been an integral part. He certainly, you know, in, in his link-up play and attack. And, you know, now, though, it feels like he's just not doing anything. Like, it's 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 excruciating watching him. Josh? Adam? Adam? I mean, I, I made this point at the beginning about how we don't even won one game uh, this calendar year by more than one goal. Mm-hmm. And I... Still think, you know, even a few weeks ago, you look back at that game away at Villa, they were absolutely wide open on the counter-attack in the second half. Um, and he just, I just think he hampers our attacks. Like he can't run enough. He doesn't get in the right positions. Um, people know they can double up on Saka and Odegaard and whoever because there's no real threat uh, in the centre. Um, and that's why we weren't winning games by more than one goal. That's why, you know, all the stuff we've spoken about in the first half of the pod about um, making substitutions, about bringing these players in and being able to rotate because, you know, the game's won. We've not been able to do it. Like, I do think a lot of these issues do, you know, even in, when we were winning, go back to how Lacazette was playing, the fact he doesn't offer a goal threat, the fact he doesn't have, you know, enough of an all-round package. Um and yeah, I thought yesterday he was you know, particularly poor. He was taking up a lot of positions, especially towards the end of the game. You know, there was a point where he was, you know, almost hiding on the right-hand side of the touchline, where he should clearly have been in the centre of the box. You know, he's not, you know, a brilliant crosser of the ball. He's not the most mobile. He's not a guy who's going to sprint into the box once he's played the ball. Um, and overall, I mean, I was just sort of stood there and just very surprised that he keeps on you know, getting 90 minutes every week there's no suggestion of changing him every time eddie comes on recently and i know you'll say the formation changes and he, you know but i just think he offers a lot more and i don't think eddie and Ketia is a great player by any means but that to me is a sort of damning indictment on what Lacazette is currently offering us that and is still giving you more yeah, I mean, I, I did see the stat come up on Twitter that actually Eddie, Eddie and Ketia completed more passes than Alex Lacazette did in the in the entire game, even after coming on coming on as a sub, and so did uh, Pepe uh, as well, obviously, and and both of them um, coming on, and, and it felt like Lacazette just went deeper. Uh, looking for the ball, he he was out wide at loads of points in that last sort of fifteen minutes. Even when we were so desperate for a goal, and if you want to be a bit brutal, you'd say, well, clearly Eddie and Kate came closer to scoring with what was actually a really good headed effort that was brilliantly saved by Sanchez. And I guess we saw glimmers at the end of the game at Selhurst Park. We saw an outstanding effort come back off the bar that was pretty unlucky. I think you have to change it again for the next game. And I don't know if that's playing Eddie or if it's playing Martinelli and bringing Pepe into the side, possibly. I just think it needs a change and it needs Lacazette on the bench and give us what you can for the last 20, 30 minutes of a game. Um, I just think now it's it's got a bit slow and predictable and Brighton never looked threatened. I was, I have to say, I was, I agree with Adam. I was absolutely incredulous that he didn't take off Lacazette. He substituted Martinelli before Lacazette. I thought that was unbelievable. And you're right. And he very, and he doesn't substitute much these days, does he? Despite the fact that Lacazette huffs and puffs literally in front of our eyes and kind of it's, it's again, but that goes back to Arteta. I have to say, you know, he's, he's making quite bewildering decisions. And that was another example Um, because yeah, and Pepe not coming on earlier. Do we, but so if we, if we rest Lacazette, who would we like to see take his place? Eddie? Well, there's a choice of two, I feel. Yeah, Eddie Eddie or Martinelli, right? So um, if he's got himself in this position in January, 
going, I'm going to get rid of Aubameyang and I'm really strong-minded on it and we couldn't sign Vlavic and I'm not interested in anyone else. Then he has to show eventually some faith, I, I, I guess, in, in Eddie. And I'm, I'm trying to think of another player in the squad who hasn't really had a opportunity to... Um, to, to start a few games and, and get the opportunity apart from Eddie. So, you know, maybe it's time. I think all of us are suspicious about what his, you know, level is and is he actually good enough? But right now, if he's on the bench, if he's good enough to be on the bench and, you know, be there, well, if Lacazette has gone this long without scoring from open play, he's clearly been influential, Lacazette, in terms of uh, hold-up play and being that experienced figure on the pitch. And I don't want to... I'm not here to you know, kick Lacazette at all. Mm. I don't think any of us would have expected Lacazette to quite play the number of minutes that he has ended up doing so this season. So I think, I think I'd probably, probably just edge with Eddie. And I think he's shown enough in these cameos in the last sort of month, month, maybe six weeks where if he doesn't, again, if he doesn't get an opportunity now, when does he? Is Eddie Adam, though, more of an impact sub? Maybe I think he has played well since in all the games he's come on in recent times. He's had a few chances. He had a he hit the bar, didn't he? he hit the crossbar when he came on. Yeah, at Palace. Yeah, at Palace. Um, but is he a, is he a, whenever he started, I feel like he doesn't look that great. So I'd be tempted to go with Martinelli. And if you pick Martinelli, it's the kind of central striker, then it, at least it gives you a chance to play. You know all of our kind of young, hot in theory, hot shot attackers. Uh, what would you do, though? I mean, th- there's a bit in my mind of I'd quite like to see Pepe tried up front. You know, we're already talking about moving around quite a few players in the team. Leave, leave Martinelli when he's been on the left. I mean, I'm not sure about Pepe um, in the same way I'm not sure about Nketiah, but I kind of think you might get a bit of sort of chaos theory with Pepe that sort of anything could happen at least for two or three games. Um, it might give you something in there as an, as an option. Whereas Enketia, I don't know. I kind of agree with you, Boyd, that when he started, he's been underwhelming, that he gives you something off the bench, but does he give you everything you need up front in terms of presence? Um, I'm, I'm very anti, I'm not very anti, but I'm not, I'm not super keen on Pepe either, but this is sort of how do you kind of choose the best of a bad bunch of options? Like the issue with shifting Martinelli around is it's then another player being moved around that position where, I mean, it depends what else he's going to do next week. Is he going to leave Jacker at left back? Is he going to move him back? If he is, you know, all the things we've already discussed about shifting Cedric around, there's quite a lot of change for the team to already absorb um, without also moving Martinelli from his left wing position. And I suppose that is the argument for why you keep on playing like that, is that you sort of have a bit more consistency. You know what he gives you. Um, the players clearly really, really like him in the dressing room, regardless of exactly what he's giving you on the pitch. Um I had a friend who said she was listening to um, a podcast with Hector Bellerin speaking in Spanish. Um, so she thought he might be a bit more honest about Arsenal. Um, and he was incredibly kind of praising of Lacazette and what a like, good character he is in the dressing room. Um, so I can, you know, it's, it's difficult. I don't think any of us think this is going to be a great eight, last eight, nine games of the season. But you kind of hope that maybe you can come up with something which might work for mm. a few matches, even if it's a sort of suboptimal solution overall. I quite like the, uh, yeah, the mad option of Pepe. Um, up front. I mean, at least if you play Pepe, if you play Pepe if you, and not in Ketia, then at least you've got either, either option. You could just play Pepe out wide as normal and have Martinelli in the middle and still have Saka. You know, that's quite, that's a quite, you know, in, in theory, threatening attack. Um, whereas, yeah, I just feel Eddie doesn't send what we, what we're really lacking with Lacazette. And, and you're right. Every, I've heard that as well. Everyone loves him. They all love him at the club. Absolutely. But he really offers nothing in the Brighton game. I mean, literally nothing. So he did not carry the ball. He did not pose any threat. He did not have any shots, etc. cetera. So um, we have to change it. I think, I just think we have to Josh. Yeah. I, I don't know if I misheard you, boy. We were sort of talking about, you know, Inketia potentially sort of, you know, starting or when he has started, he, he has not started oh. a premier league game for us. Right. Okay. Um, I, I assume, I I'm need thinking, to check, but I assume he played in the cups cup games, uh, yeah, at cup some games. point, but the, he has not started a premier league game uh, this season. So, right. um, but he has obviously come on, come off the bench in all of the last 10 Yeah. Um, and, and gradually actually- building up and his biggest cameo of, of the season was the 28 minutes he got, against Brighton that's the longest period he's had mm. um, on the pitch and I, I just think 
momentum-wise, um, in terms of him getting a bit more playing time, it, it, it's time to to roll the dice and see. Oh, I think, um, and I'd yeah. go with him Saturday think, and, and keep that example. I think Arteta will go with him. I think I, I think in Arteta's mind, he's in the pecking order. He's next in the pecking order above. You can tell from the way he, the Pep he brings him on before Pepe. I mean, which again, I think was weird even though eddie did do quite well i'd always bring on pepe before him personally i just think he's you know he's a mad threat in whatever mad way it is Um, but he's also what's mad is we're (laughs) we're talking about starting someone up front for arsenal you know with eight games to go mid-april yeah who has not started a premier league over arsenal and importantly has not scored a premier league goal for arsenal this season it is extraordinary you know even i mean the days of you're right. Having, you know, Henri Burkamp, Canu Wiltor. So I asked this question. God, you know, how long asked, ago? I've been meaning, I want to ask this question in all seriousness. I know this seems like ridiculous ranking of, of our calls, but did, was it actually a mistake getting rid of Aubameyang, who is flourishing magically, you know, Barcelona? Yeah, I, th- I think it was. You know, he chucked in a few poor performances in November, but Josh said we've scored 45 goals in the Premier League this season. At some point, I think we have to accept that, yeah, you know, Lacazette's also chucked in a few poor performances. Like, Arteta's very big on his non-negotiables and how he wants to have, you know, good eggs in the dressing room. And I completely get that. And I think overall it's worked out. I think at some point, and I, and I think he's sort of saying this with Pepe at the moment, at some point you have to say that you need a squad. You can't bring anyone in in January. So it's not great. We don't love having a family hanging around for whatever reason, if, if that's Arteta's view. But I still think it would have been substantially better than the options. You know, the options we're currently discussing are Eddie Nketiah, who... Um, as far as Josh is saying, it hasn't scored a Premier League goal for us this season. Pepe has never started for us up front. Or Martinelli, who I think has never started for us up front. And instead of that, we're talking about a striker who's scored you know, hundreds of goals across his career, who's gone to Barcelona and is thriving. I think all of us know, at least, you know, in general, the options here of who you'd rather have starting up front, even given that Aubameyang had chucked in a few performances. And I think as well, that if he'd had the window go by, and he then knew he had to play for Arsenal for another few months. His attitude might have picked up a bit, knowing that he wanted to get a move in the summer. Yeah. Um, and that otherwise, if he kept on playing like this, nobody else would want him. I agree with you. I think Martinelli has played up front, hasn't he, a few times? Certainly, I remember the Chelsea home game at the very right. start of the season due to the lack of options. Martinelli yeah. did, did start the game um, up front. Um, I mean, that game feels forever ago, right? Mm. That was Burn Leno in gold and Pablo Mari at centre-back. And, uh, no. yeah, that was one of the games Lukonga did play at the, at the start of the season. So, I don't know. Maybe um, when there is a, a bit of perspective and it feels horrible at the moment, and I, I went to Crystal Palace last Monday and I'm not sure I've seen a away end empty, you know, quite like that with, you know, 50 minutes to go. And there are a lot of people had left the Emirates long before we got a goal you know, in the last couple of minutes to give ourselves just a tiny chance of grabbing a point on Saturday. But this is probably still slightly ahead of where most people had us at the start of the season. And with United losing, West Ham losing, it's just slightly, it's horrible that it's Spurs, that it's probably invariably looks like will pip us to fourth. Although if we can absolutely do what, most expect us not to and pick up a win away at Chelsea or away at West Ham, away at Spurs, then who knows it could swing in our favour. But at least it gave us a little bit of space on at least, you know, fifth. And that is progress. So I'm trying to find a few positives here. That's your job. It wasn't fun on Saturday. No, that's your job to find the positives. My job is to find the negatives. And I, Adam feel like we're kind of like about one or two games away from a calamitous downward spiral into hell of sixth, seventh, eighth. Do you know what I mean? Like that's my feeling. Cause we've got, we've got a dodgy run in. I can Chelsea. I mean, on paper, you'd expect them to win. I, that Spurs game. I'm sorry. If we, these fucking fullbacks, whoever the fuck we've got a fullback against their attack. I mean, I would not be surprised if we lost that three, four, five, you know, seriously. And to me, like that's, the betting. I don't know what the betting is. Oh come on! on. That game. Like that man. game is. That game is a month away, boy. Yeah, and what we're not. No, you know, seemingly. But calm down. I mean, you, we, you, you said it earlier. What, what, Michael actually mentioned. Oscar said about two weeks being such a, yeah, all know, right. an incredible ja- turnaround. Let's just calm down about that. We're going to get smashed four or five at Spurs. <laughs> 
it was still got over a month away. I'll amend. We my... worry about trying to get some points on Saturday <laughs> at Southampton. I'll amend just my... been beaten by six. I take what you say on board. I'll amend my points to this then. If that game was next week, I'd be fucking terrified. It'll be all over. And we'd leave three, four, five. Okay, fine. You're right. In in a in, when we have to play that game, three games for the end of the season. Let's hope we'll have. But you know what I mean, Adam. What I'm saying is, either thing could happen. Like we really could have a disastrous time and, and, and collapse horrendously, or we could ride it out and it'll be, and we are lucky as Josh mentioned that West Ham and Man United are absolutely fucking things up as much as we are. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. And, and I think, you know, there, there have to be questions at the end of the season. If it is sort of calamitous end of the season, about where we go from here. I read something last weekend and uh, in the papers where they were saying that Arteta would finally manage to make a bond with the fans and the reason he hadn't last season was because everything was played behind closed doors and I was just like astonished this thing had been printed but the reason he didn't make a bond with the fans last season is because we lost every game <laughs> and hardly scored any goals in the first half of the season um, yeah. like if it all goes downhill and we finish 6th or 7th th- I do think you know you have to start sitting there going yes he's, he's got us going for a few months if he's got his first 11 in the right place but I don't know like I do think that kind of, especially with United being so poor, fifth, which should sort of be the absolute minimum you'd expect. And if you can't deliver on that, then you've got to chalk it up as another very poor season. Um, and, you know, do we think he can do it then when he needs to rotate the squad because he's playing Champions League or Europa? You know, especially if he actually got us into Champions League, do we think he's the, he's the man to do it? And clearly, this squad needs a hell of a lot more players and he's got rid of a lot of people and now needs to bring some in. But... I don't know. I do worry that this could quickly go negatively with a lot of difficult games ahead. Equally, as Josh says, Spurs away is a month away. If West Ham get through in the Europa League and they're in the semi-finals, us playing away to them is in between um, the two legs of what that semi-final would be. United also kind of seem to be in free fall. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't even require like a huge jump of faith to say we could win all three of those matches. It just seems that at the moment, yeah. having seen what we've seen for the last two games, that it's dubious. There will be twists and turns, sure. I, I just look at the Josh, I just look at the situation where Spurs have brought in a world-class coach. They brought two players in the January window that immediately fitted into the team and they're having a massive impact on their game. And they've got an, an incredibly good uh, array of strikers who actually score goals. And I think if you, t- if you stand back for a minute, maybe our good run, you know, up until this, these last two games was the freak situation and maybe actually what we're seeing now is kind of the truth of the situation which is that actually you kind of think Spurs probably look are, are going to finish out of us but if we finish fifth then I'm you know I'm not going to be too furious look you, you look at Spurs' squad and the players they have available and the changes they can make in their squad moment I, I don't think it's a question about who's 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 got the better resources and the better squad and they've got a manager who's been there and done it and, and you know, serious, um, serious pedigree. So uh, what I worry about is, is that Spurs game, three games to go, uh, the idea of going to White Hart, the new White Hart Lane for the first time and that cementing that fourth spot, you know, that they might already be four points clear and go seven with two to play or, or something like that. Um, I'd like to think that we can take it, you know, towards the end. Look, Southampton have just been smashed. We we absolutely need to go and get a positive, you know, result there. Uh, Chelsea away has not been like happy hunting ground for us, um, you know, at, at all. Uh, and then you know we'd have to come home and, and beat United. Uh, it, it's not a run of fixtures that you'd look forward to, but we've just had two games where on paper you'd have gone, yeah, fancy us to you know to get some points on the board. So yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's a really, a really tricky period coming up. And if they put in the level of performance we saw in the last two games, then you know we can absolutely forget, forget top four. Adam, do you have faith that Arteta can kind of rouse them, you know, and kind of do the right thing, almost in man management terms, to get to get them going? Because I feel like man management terms has not been good the last couple of games. I think that's the fear, is that we've seen it now several times in big games. You look back to that Europa semi-final last season, where we've just not really turned up even when you, you know, we weren't coming into this on the back of uh, poor form. So, I mean, it, it, it does worry me. Mm. I think, you know, the flip side of what Josh was saying about the Spurs squad is there have been quite a few times this season where we've reminded me a little bit of Liverpool in 2017, 
um, before when that was the season they got back into the Champions League. And their squad had a lot of very poor players who played every week. Like Lovren, uh, Nathaniel Klein, Emre Chan, um, Origi also played regularly. It is doable if you're a top mm. coach to get sort of, you know, and also you look back to the old Arsenal squads. Josh Josh, mes- Josh messaged me yesterday saying Andre Santos would have got a game for Arsenal yesterday. <laughs> Not sure how serious he was being. But, you know, if you're a top coach, you can work with limited resources, you know. Not unlimited limited resources, if that makes sense, but to a certain extent. And, you know, we've clearly got some players who are going to play over the next few weeks, as we've discussed, who probably don't have a long-term future for us if we want to be a top team. But it's can Arteta actually turn it around to the extent of getting a bit of juice out of them for a few weeks, to the extent that, you know, by hook or by crook, we can sort of grind out some narrow results. And, you know, Josh, we did win. I mean, I forget all these matches in lockdown. We did win away at Chelsea last season, I think. For the previous yeah, game away at Chelsea. Yeah. Previous, pre- previous game where at Chelsea we got a draw. Um, yep. So uh, it's not impossible. Yeah. No, I'm Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea are fucking up and down like a mad, like in a mad way, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're, they're going through a crazy period. So, yeah, I mean, those things could happen. I want to, do want to mention, we, we, I forgot in our analysis of the game, the, um, the VAR offside period, which seemed to go on for like fucking 10 minutes. I mean, I was watching it on a, on a dodgy feed on my uh, phone. But, oh, my God, that must be the longest VAR. Yeah, I think it was I've the longest one seen. I've experienced in, in a stadium. And uh, I said to, to Dermot and to my mate Josh, who was, who was with us, the longer it goes on, the more you feel it's it's not going to go for you. And, uh, yeah, I, I, straight away it was just – I mean, we were right down the other end of the stadium. But um, I don't know how people – you got that kind of wrong. I mean, Piers Morgan was busy tweeting that it was a, you know, a, a travesty. And I'm not sure if it was that people maybe misunderstood the offside rule. Obviously the goalkeeper and another yeah. player yeah. Um, need to be involved. But I think it looked like the right decision was made. It was just infuriating how long it took. And Martinelli had clearly been so delighted. Was it the doctor he went to run to, to celebrate? Yeah, with? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so obviously something's yeah. gone on there. Yeah. So um, that was a waste of a, very emotive celebration. I think even Tavares was, I think was the, getting involved in the hug. So that yeah. was yeah, you're right. not even I a think, nice moment for him in this downward period for him. I think the confusion about the offside thing was that, I mean, you're right, the goalkeeper and another player were, were behind him. But um, it felt, people were saying, it, it felt like, you know, a, 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 a not an obvious error had been made. What's the phrase? Clear but that doesn't matter when it comes to offside, does it? People offside forget. isn't right. Offside. Like, but, yeah, it's like, one I, or the other. Right. So I was like watching it, and the comment, fucking commentators were saying, "Oh, you know, this goes against the rules of VR." They still haven't got into their heads that offside is different. If they, I know it's supposed to be with. They changed it, didn't they? The emphasis this season to the 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 benefit of the doubt goes with the attacking team if you really can't see those like literal millimeter things but you can see on the still frame they show or match of the day they showed it and you could see that he was a, a literally like his, his his foot was offside adam but in the stadium it must have been fucking excruciating because they don't make it clear what the hell's going on do they in any way yeah i mean i thought it was rubbish it's clearly rubbish for the match going fan um, we don't really see any replays which they're looking at, which I don't understand why they don't show them. I mean, it's all the same things everyone's heard before about why VAR isn't very good for people in the stadium. Yeah. Um, I do think, you know, it went on five minutes. I was actually surprised, given normally how people love to go out for beer at half-time, how many people stayed in their seats. Because it must have been, what, 30 seconds before half-time, something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that people thought that, you know, so much gluttons for punishment, wanting to be there to see it chalked off um, rather than going in. But, yeah, it took so long um, and as Josh says, the longer it goes on, the more you get the fear that if it, you know, if it's this borderline, they're going to chalk it off. And that, and that probably isn't the right view to have. But I would quite like to know. I'd love to see someone do some analysis on when these wild checks go on for four or five minutes. Do they always end up giving giving the goal? Because that's you know that's what everyone says about whenever the ref goes over the moment, yeah. that's yeah. you're done. For, yeah, you know, I mean it's mostly and, true. I think it is mostly true. And I was watching it on. So I was watching it on 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 Soccer Saturday as well. And I have to say the. Um, Jeff Stelling, who, you know, has brilliantly reversed his decision to leave Soccer Saturday. Jeff Stelling, it was hilarious the way they dealt with it on Soccer Saturday. They were literally all crowding round the monitor. Um, and Jeff Stelling was going kind of mad about how long it was taking and berating the VAR. It was kind of dramatic and funny and yet tragic at the same time because I, I knew it was like, if they were going, it's taking this long, it's definitely going to be given offside. It's definitely 100%. They're just, you know, finding a way anyway. 
it was it was excruciating but entertaining on Soccer Saturday. I guess we have to uh, turn to our predictions. It's that time. We do. We turn our attention to St Mary's Stadium. Yeah. A Saturday, Saturday three o'clock game, Boyd. Uh, yeah. To worry about. You're going to be Two back from America, Boyd. I will be back. I will be back. Yeah. I come back on Good Friday, so the day before. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's like the same situation, isn't it, as Brighton and Palace? Like they're on a terrible run. <laughs> They've had a terrible result against Chelsea. It should be absolutely obvious that we beat them, and yet. This could be three in a row for, you know, it could be a repeat of what how bad we were against Palace and Brighton. What do you reckon, Adam? What do you think the result's going to be? Uh, uh, this is very difficult. I'm going to say one all. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably quite a good guess. I might go, I was going to say a draw, so I might go, do you know what? I might say nil-nil. <laughs> how excruciating is that going to be? Yeah, I haven't written nil-nil for a while. It's going to be hell. Josh? 1-0 to the Arsenal. I, I think we we can go there. Eddie Nketiah's first goal of the Premier League season in a 1-0, hugely important Arsenal victory. That's what I'm going for, boys. Excellent. By the way, we didn't even... Odegaard's goal was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, he, he's been pretty mm, bad. I mean, a big deflection. I know, a big deflection. I know, I know. But just to try... No, it's good, good. I mean, look, that Audacious. last 10 Audacious. minutes of the game yeah. was was a good 10 minutes and we created opportunities and looked dangerous and yeah, you wonder where that quite was earlier in, in the pitch. But yeah, he... I mean, it wasn't his best game, Odegaard. He's been terrible in the... In he took a bit of responsibility, had a go. Laconga had an effort that was actually mm. a few mm. minutes before that that, that, that flew just wide. Eddie's header, you know, on another day we might have got out of jail with a point, but... Odegaard's looked as bad as, as any of the players in the last two games, is all I'd say. But anyway, let's let's end on... Let's hope Josh is right and that we win, even if it's just 1-0. I mean, that would be fantastic. And thanks so much, Adam, for coming on. Um, and we'll be... Adam said he only comes on after defeat, so we'll have to be sure oh, to invite okay. Adam on after a we victory uh, next time. Maybe but Villarreal... thank you for joining us, Adam. Villarreal go out of the Champions League and Arsenal win a game. Then we'll have you on. That'll be dream snow. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Adam. Cheers, Josh. And we'll see you next week. Bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.